Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church in counseling and discipleship. Hello, hello, hello. We are back in studio. Uh, we are going to wrap up our second episode uh, regarding uh, just self-identity and the crisis uh, that we face in the biopsychosocial uh, constructs of uh, self and its identity. Uh, that's kind of what we just uh, went through in last podcast, uh, talking about that, which uh, this uh, podcast was really um, encouraged by one of our listeners, uh, M. Delaney underscore one. Uh, she asked, uh, she would love some insight on how to work with clients struggling with LGBT concerns, especially identifying as a transgender. And so we wanted to uh, honor that. And uh, really quick, for anybody who wants uh, us to, to talk about whatever topics, uh, we want to hear from y'all. Um, you can email us at topics at speak the uh, You can please leave us reviews on, on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, uh, whatever RSS feed you use to listen to podcast, uh, leave us some reviews. Uh, man, we want to engage with you. We want to know what you want to ask and, and how we can help, uh, bring some education to certain topics, uh, so that uh, you guys are equipped out there on the front lines at work and church, lay people in the church, wherever you may be, um, and consuming this content and using this content. Uh, so thank you, M Delaney underscore one. And so this, uh, this podcast, we want to pick up where we left off with um, the biopsychosocial um, crises, really. And we left off on uh, the cultural and moral crisis. Right, Jeremy? Yes, that's right. And I, I want to encourage our listeners, hang with us um, because we're, we just wanted to provide a, a context um, to really dig into the question that was actually sent to us, which how do you actually deal with someone struggling with this? Right. So we're, we're getting there. Hang with us. Um, you know, you're going to be having conversations with people in your sphere. And some of the things that we're talking about just in this context, I think might be helpful uh, in those conversations. Yep. So when we talk about the cultural crisis, one of the things that is very important for us to recognize is this whole dilemma of self-identity is a, it's an issue in Western culture for the most part. I mean, that's where we're uh, having most of the conversation and debate, but there are other cultures where this is not the conversation. Okay. And one of those cultures might be uh, like, for instance, the Middle East. And so I read a book recently by um, Michael Arena and Bruce Arigio. Uh Arigio is a professor of crime law and society at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And they wrote, wrote a book that was based on extensive research steeped in uh, social, uh, social uh, identity theory. And the title of the book is called The Terrorist Identity. And what they did is they, they studied uh, the the development of young men in these cultures and came up with the term, the martyr identity uh, that these young men based on their culture develop what is called the martyr identity. And I want to read an extensive quote uh, because this is very relevant to the conversation we're having in our own culture, especially as it regards consistency in logic, consistency in how we view the world. Um, So here's a a quote from uh, the book, Terrorist Identity. 
Perhaps the most poignant illustration of the role that significant others plays with respect to instilling the martyr identity within extremist militants is observable in a photo in Hebron in 2002. The photograph featured the gunman's infant son dressed in military fatigues complete with a suicide bomber's harness. Although not all significant others in a fledgling martyr's life are supportive of such an identity, Classmates, teachers, fellow recruits, parents, and family members serve to repeatedly remind some of their shihad, some their shihad path obligation and destiny. Indeed, the social martyr and the extrinsic gratification one receives from significant others causes one to become more committed to this identity. The heightened and intensified commitment increases the identity salience and its pro- proclivity to be activated in a variety of situations. And so the argument that they're making from this uh, social theory research is the idea that uh, these young men who are indeed martyrs um, are groomed by their cultural norms, and this becomes their most deep and embraced identity. Okay, And so that makes sense to me. And the question that I have uh, for those who really embrace the self-identity message is this. Um, if Let's say that I went over to the Middle East and I lived with one of these young men for several years. Right. And I begin to witness, uh, or let's say, for example, I witness uh, this young man's brother become mutilated by an American drone missile. Um, and I would r- recognize the social response and reinforcements on his identity that such a tragedy invoked. Then, of course, his actions are reasonable. Okay, his family has been harmed by the West. Uh, he is surrounded by social influences that tell him becoming a martyr because of this is the right thing to do. Then it would be very reasonable in that culture for him to embrace a mar- uh, martyr identity. Um, according to social theory, who could deny him of this identity and on what basis? Uh, Therefore, operating from his self-identity, the idea that it is good and right to kill self and others is sufficiently in accordance with his socially constructed self. So if we embrace the idea that self is an identity and a construct merely based on social, and that's what the self-identity world is saying, that we must accept that reality, we must accept that, that way of viewing self, then if we want to be consistent and honest in our logic, then we must embrace and support and uplift the young man who desires to self-identify as a martyr, even if that means that it could cause harm uh, to people that we know. Yeah. And of course, you know, they would immediately, other worldview would immediately say, well, that's a religious, you know, there's religion for you. But regardless uh, of whatever view you take, it's the construct. It is, okay, so what are you going to do? Doesn't matter. It it may bring harm to, you know, a hundred people that they blow up, but that nation, that social construct is progressing, which would be consistent with evolution. Yeah. Right. So it's like, correct. It, it just, it breaks down so rapidly uh, when you, when you really begin to, to look at what's being posited uh, to us in terms of what we now just consider, because we must believe it. It's, we have to embrace it. And, and if we don't, uh, you're actually, there's going to be, I mean, there's going to be consequences, um, punitive consequences. The, the idea that, it, that came from a religious context, therefore it's wrong, is also a socially, socially constructed idea. 
there's no absolute value in the universe that supports that idea. (laughs) The idea when I've spoken about this in the past, those who embrace the the self-identity movement uh, push back and say, yeah, but that identity is wrong because it causes harm to other people. Well, again, that's a socially constructed Western idea. There's, there's really nothing as far as just, um, universal that says one has to embrace that idea. Uh, so the West, you know, sometimes we can come across like we, uh, we are the, the ultimate, uh, disseminators of truth. But if we, if we really want to take a, an honest assessment of how we're viewing life without a true eternal epistemology, um, then we have to come face to face with the idea that you really don't have a ground to stand on to discourage a kid who wants to identify as a martyr and then go out and live out that purpose. That would be, um, uh, I think that that uh, shows bias, to be honest with you, if I'm coming from that that uh, frame of reference. Yeah, and, in, and even ethically, right, because that was one of the crises that we had is ethically, you're you, what you're what you're putting on me is is harming me because you're you're giving me punitive consequence. That's right. But it's okay because I'm just one individual. Mm-hmm. So do I not make up the social construct? It just it. I mean, it, it just it. I mean, holistically, man, it just doesn't make sense. When self or culture become the reference point, it gets very messy. Yeah, you have it, to have something that transcends it, both of those. It's not objective, right? Right, and it just it it becomes. They try to be objective about something that is absolutely subjective. That's right. And, I mean, that's right. It's exactly right. So, um, so the next, uh, which th- this is, this is really beneficial to to think and in, in really capturing this idea of social construct. Because if that's your argument, well, let's be consistent, right? So that's that's yes. the crisis that we have there. So uh, the the next crisis that we have is the empirical crisis, which is limits. Um, you know, Jeremy. Yeah. So here's here's something that we as Christians need to understand, because, man, when you're out there living in the world and you're watching the news and you're seeing how fired up people get about this topic um, and then you begin to hear, quote, experts in the field come out in favor of um, reassignment for children, uh, transitioning adolescents, all of these things that we're hearing, uh, I think it's important that we understand we're, it's not just a Christian perspective that this is not a well-oiled machine in terms of understanding at this point. And so there is an, uh, there is an empirical crisis also that's very rarely talked about. Um, but I want to just, I think it would be, uh, we would be best served just by quoting three experts that are very high up in the field uh, to just give you, Uh, folks an idea of what they're saying on this topic. Um, So Dr. Daphne Oyserman, Kristen Elmore, and George Smith of the Institute of Social Research at the University of Michigan. Here's what they would say on this whole idea of the development of self as far as science is concerned. Uh, They write, a rich array of social science theories assumes that the self matters for life choices and behavior but a similarly robust body of evidence that this is so has yet to be assembled. The theory evidence gap means that to date, self and identity theories may or may not provide robust models of what self and identity do and how they function. Given the large number of publications evoking the self and identity as explanatory factors, failing to attend to the theory evidence gap means that the field as a whole has not made as much progress 
as might be hoped in understanding self and identity as mental constructs and as forces for action. At worst, the self may not matter at all. That's their, that's their conclusion, that there is a huge gap um, between the theories that are out there, which, are, which is what pushes this whole thing, and the evidence within the science. Yeah, so the verifiable, they're not verifiable by that's, observation because yeah. they're not consistent. They, it, they're yes. not capturing concrete. Uh, not at an, an empirical level. Right. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Jensen, Arnett of Clark University, he offers another um, limitation, and this is in the Oxford Handbook of Identity Development from 2015. He says, the vast majority of the research on adolescence so far has been conducted in the United States and Canada and Western Europe. What I have called the neglected 95%, the vast human population that lives outside the United States, has been almost entirely neglected by research on adolescent identity development. And so really what we're seeing in our nation is just a cultural phenomenon, that the 95% of humanity has been left out of the research in the development of adolescence. How can we come up with absolute conclusions when that's the case. Yeah. How conclusive is that? I mean, you're talking about a very narrow number, that's you correct. know, in order to observe anything. Yeah. So, um, which is a pretty arrogant position for the West to take. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And so, um, yeah, that, so that's several, uh, crises that we have. Um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the first, uh, podcast in this, uh, where we went over in detail, uh, those crises over the biopsychosocial, uh, constructs, um, that are, uh, being posited. Uh, so now we want to go beyond the psychosocial and actually, but get there in- was one more expert. I think that Jeremy needed to mention, right? Michael Gerson. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 Just cause it- he prefaced it. I want to make sure that we kind of get to it. And I, I really want to make sure that people understand the reason we're, we're going over these things is because we do want to equip believers and we do have all the rationale we need in the word of God. Absolutely. And we're going to get to that here in just a bit, but to know that this is not a, a scientifically closed conversation. Yeah. In, in other words, science has not put its stamp of approval and said, we have it figured out. It's actually the very opposite. And so this last, um, this last es- expert is Dr. Michael Gerson of California Lutheran University, and he says this, the self and identity have an extensive history in the psychoanalytic literature as well as general psychology and sociology and have received renewed attention in the neuroscience literature. Furthermore, these terms figure prominently in discussions of adolescent crisis and conflicts wherein self and identity represent significant distinctions regarding how one knows oneself or how one knows uh, how one is known to others. Neither term, however, has consistent usage in the psychological literature, despite the fact that they appear in tens of thousands of citations. And uh, citing Weston and and Heim, Garson then concurs this, uh, because of these uh, these gaps, that the self is a construct suffering from identity confusion. So there's a lot of confusion out there in in the research world. Yeah, so there's really nothing empirical about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just, it's not conclusive. There's a lot of data out there, but it's definitely not conclusive data. And there's a lot of confusion surrounding terms and, and ideas about the self. Yeah. So it's really not a defined science at all. No, not according to these experts. Right. On that side. Yeah, yeah correct. 
which is interesting. So, uh, Shauna, thank you for uh, bringing that Keeping up. Keeping you on track. No problem. Yeah. And you're talking now. Mm. <laughs> so. Oh, so did you do that on purpose? Thank you for the... Yeah. Uh, all I know is I'm glossy eyed. This is all, stuff all over my head. Like, let's let's talk about the spiritual order now. Huh? Is that Does where that we're mean, going? That mean we're boring you? No, it's just um, interesting to a few. <laughs> no, there's going to be a lot. Uh, obviously, a, a lot of men and women out there who um, love to hear this because I don't think this is often talked about. Um, it's not like these are the conversations we're having in the church, you know, in our small mm-hmm. groups and stuff. Um, but I think it's definitely things in terms that maybe we could do a better job of understanding. And um, even if we don't love it, maybe like me, it's still a good, a good thing to understand and be able to communicate to others. Right. Yeah. And, and I also think, and it, it, we're not, we're not trying to demolish the other side as it were. And, and I think this is where sometimes uh, people just don't really consider the reality of what's going on. In other words, we're, we're speaking against an ideology. We're not attacking people. We're not no, attacking not individual all. people, right? That that's not what we're accomplishing. We're, we're attacking a worldview that is inconsistent and isn't in the best interest of the people. So what we're trying to accomplish is bringing, uh, bringing some good information to the discussion because what we see in the mainstream media, uh, is, they're not bringing the reality of these crises. They're presenting something that's, you know, in the best interest of their, you know, whether we want to call it an agenda position, not to use political terminology, but the reality is they're positing these things, but they're not giving the reality of what they're positing. Mm -hmm. Right. At least with the biblical worldview. And even when people look at religion, you know, they scrutinize any religious perspective and they should. Sure. But in the same respect, we need, they need to take that same rigidity to any other view, including their own and, and begin to have those conversations. So Shauna, to, to what you're saying, it's, it is, it is beneficial for people to understand this because they're not hearing a full orbed position on what's being presented in the culture. Mm-hmm. They're getting the agenda and what we must conform to. Well, that's not fair. Like you, we, we need to know more about what's going on. So that's really why we wanted to do this. Um, so it's, it's good. Thank you for, for coming into the podcast. Mm. You're welcome. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so anyway, all that to say, we, uh, we, we hope uh, you guys were encouraged by at least tackling that side of things. And uh, I would encourage if you want to hear more about that, uh, we would love to talk about that because we want to have a discussion about these things. Um, you know, we don't want to be so n- narrow, narrow minded where we don't consider uh, just a, a robust understanding of different ideologies so that we're an informed people uh, in this. So, so are we going to kind of start talking more how to's and, and get yeah. the listener who wrote in kind yeah, that's of, or is that transi- another podcast? No, is that's that where we're transitioning okay, cool. to. We just wanted to capture uh, the, the other side. So uh, getting into those areas, now we're getting into beyond the biopsychosocial, which is the actual spiritual order of things. And this is where we obviously want to camp for the remainder of the podcast and hopefully, um, really help uh, answer and, and give some, some good feedback for M Delaney underscore one who actually wrote and asked us to speak to this. So um, yeah. So the spiritual order. Yeah. So when we come to the table of conversation as believers, as Christians, um, let me find this passage. I, I love how Paul puts this because 
you know, the conversation we're having, we can often feel like we actually come from another world when it comes to what we're hearing from the culture. And in some regards, uh, we are. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 1, talking about us as, as believers. He said, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. So, Our listeners who believe in Christ need to understand that uh, salvation not only transformed your heart, but it transformed your location in the world, your location Mm -hmm. in the universe, so that we see with different eyes, we interpret with different lenses, um, and we have been brought into this beautiful kingdom of light where we can understand the self from a place that doesn't feel so so chaotic and confusing. And that requires us, uh, because we've been thrust into this kingdom of light, now we understand spiritual realities. Now we have the capacity as believers to actually understand the Bible. And so we call this the spiritual order, and it gives us, and I'll just hit this very quickly, uh, and we're just barely scratching the surface when it talks about um, how the Bible conceptualizes humanity, Uh, but it's very clear that the self is created. Um, We are not just accidental entities that have evolved by chance through the years, uh, we are created. And one thing I love, uh, a, a guy that really influenced me early on in my life was a guy by the name of Francis Schaeffer. I devoured all of his books. He's a Christian philosopher. Uh, the God who is there, he is there and he is not silent and escape from reason were just mind-blowing uh, books for me. And one of his big comments as he was speaking into the culture of the 60s mm. was that the Bible unlike uh, culture, unlike politics, unlike anything, brings freedom, but it also brings form. That's one one of the unique things about Scripture is it brings freedom for us to think and freedom for us to imagine and freedom for us to come up with ideas, but it gives us a form within, within which to think about that freedom or to operate within that freedom. So the self isn't just this thing that we're trying to figure out. Sure, we're trying to figure out ourselves. All of us are, but we do that within a very specific form. And so here's just some general aspects of that form. Uh, We are created. We're created beings. We're told in Genesis that God created Adam and Eve. He created the universe. Um, We're told in uh, Psalm 139 that, as I mentioned, I think in a previous podcast, that he knew us before we were even ever formed. Um, As creations, we're created in the image of God. Uh, The scriptures tell us that every person, Every person alive, believer or not, is crowned with God's glory because we are created in his image and that we're also part of a bigger story going on. Uh, The Bible also talks to us about the reality of why there is such confusion and chaos in our world, why there is such suffering and pain, and that's because the self has also fallen so that every person born into this world is is born as a fallen person. Um, I I love how... uh, the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard uh, defines sin. Um, he said, sin is in despair, not wanting to be oneself before God. Um, so it's this denial of self before God. And then faith is that the self is being itself and wanting to be itself is grounded transparently in God. Sin is seeking to become oneself to get an identity apart from God. Uh, I love that, at least as it uh, regards our current conversation. And that's what we're seeing in the self-identity movement. So, but, but this is like one of the harsh things though, to where people would be very, um, cautious of calling this sin 
you know? And so that's what we're talking here. And so how do you love, right, and speak gently into something like this from an identity standpoint and actually say sin? Mm. So I think, we did. you know, I remember, I can't remember, was it uh, Lauren Diego? Is that the the singer? Oh, yeah, when she was on Ellen. She was on a show mm-hmm. somewhere, and they asked her, is homosexuality a sin or something mm-hmm. like that? And yeah, I think that she, was Ellen, yeah. I don't know how she answered the question. If we are, if we're dealing with people publicly, if we're dealing with people uh, in counseling, I don't think we start there. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the, the question that we answer. Mm-hmm. And if Ellen would have asked me that question, I would have said, I don't, I don't think that's the question that we begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to know the person. I want to know their story. I want to know what has shaped them because uh, we do believe that environment has does have an influence on folks. And some people come from difficult places. Some people come from wonderful places and still struggle with this. Mm-hmm. But I want to know their story. Uh, I want to incarnate the love, the kindness, and the compassion of Jesus Christ uh, when I'm sitting in front of these people, just like he did with the woman at the well. Yeah. Um, and I think that's how we start. We don't start with sin. Uh, but if we ever move into that, that that place of conversation, if we're talking to a Christian, now, now I'm not sure I would even talk about sin with an unbeliever because that, again, we are operating in the kingdom of light, where, and that's the only place that the word sin has meaning. A sin is a meaningless term in the kingdom of darkness. I remember studying though, just here recently. No, that's when that's I was, a good point, though. When I was teaching First John, that you know, rebellion is really the root of sin. And so as we're looking at how you're defining it here, sin is seeking to become oneself to get an identity apart from God. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like we're we're caught. We, we understand that that's what it is, but maybe we're speaking into it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like in, and you're saying in, and bringing in that gentleness for, you know, as our counselors and our pastors are out there in a way that we're speaking boldly and directly into it, but we're not negating where you start first, like building that relationship. And through the building of that, you can speak of saying, Hey, where are you seeking to become oneself to get an identity apart from God? So technically what you're saying is sin, but not just saying the word sin. Yeah. Because I feel like when you say that, that's where that defensive wall comes up. And it's almost like you've just started a conversation where we're already at odds. Well, that's because it's our encouragement today is, you know, to kind of encourage our counselors and pastors out there, um, to, I guess, maybe how to communicate it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the reason why they get defensive, because when, as soon as you say sin, it's defensive because it's a judgment. Well, and, and, get, and, and that's, that's what I'm saying right. to, to your point. Is but it it's, takes our conversation in a whole nother path. Cause then all of a sudden they're going to come back and idolatry is the same thing, right? We're idolizing anything that's apart from the Lord. So we could easily kind of take it from here to here. So, right. That's why, uh, that's good. And that's the importance of what Jeremy is saying is getting to know their story. Like we don't need to start there. We'll get there. But in order for me to rightly get there, I need to first hear the story. Like I need to hear what's going on with them and, and begin to like any good counselor is data gathering, right? We want to know the story. We don't, we may have a, a, a thought about that and, and, but we defer that until we have more, uh, more story, more understanding of uh, their influence. What did they come from? And all of, all of those things help. Um, but again, um, when we're talking about identity is when they start talking about what they've been through, that's them telling you a story of how that identity has either been cultivated, skews, 
skewed, broken, you know, jacked up, however it came about, but you begin to see how they've formulated this idea of themselves. Yeah. You know, and, and once you, once you hear that story and, and side note here, I, I, I got, I've got to go watch this on Amazon prime. I, I know Douglas Wilson has a new sh- show there and his first one was on it, empathy where, it's good. where they were, they were, they were pretty hard against empathy and maybe we need to do a podcast on empathy. Cause I don't know if I agree with that because it's very important for me. It's, if I'm working with a, a, a fellow Christian, again, if I'm working with a non-believer, my job is to love them and have, and, and help them and walk with them and pray that the Holy spirit would open a window for me to bring the gospel to bear on the struggle that they're having. Um, but when I'm dealing with a Christian and if they really are having these impulsive struggles that I'm a man trapped in, I'm, I'm a man, man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa. I think a beautiful question to ask them is what is that experience like? What is data? Give me a, a just a, a verbal image of when you wake up to you go to bed, what do you have to wrestle with? What are you tormented by? I can't imagine I cannot imagine living my life as a man feeling that actually I'm a woman Mm -hmm. and the confusion that that brings. I do want to empathize with that. Mm -hmm. Now, by empathizing, I'm not saying I'm validating that what they experience is the truth, but I am validating what they're experiencing is real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, um, I actually watched that episode, uh, and Doug's, you know, in his very, uh, satire driven approach to things. Um, you know, um, he wasn't, he wasn't really necessarily being snarky about, uh, that position. His idea is when, when we hear in the culture of empathizing, it's jump in the mud with them and shower them in the mud, mm. so to speak. It's where what you're saying is that's part of the sympathy where I'm, I'm still hanging on, but I'm, I'm going to reach down and I'm going to grab you. And so part of what you're saying is that grab to understand because you, you know, as I'm reaching, I'm, I'm trusting, I know that they need help. But I don't want them to remain there. Yeah. So he he's just drawing a distinction between, um, you know, not necessarily the the objective definition of the two. It's more like the way that the culture is embracing their definition of what it means to. And that that's probably a great distinction. I will. Yeah. I I would like to bring forth like, to me as a Christian, the the preeminent construct or picture of empathy is Christ entering the fractured world. Mm -hmm. He entered our experience. Absolutely. To understand us, Mm -hmm. to, to, um, to, to have an understanding of what it feels like to be tempted, to struggle, to suffer. So when I use that word, I'm thinking Christ entered my brokenness. And part of that was obviously to redeem and save me, but he wanted to understand us. We read that in Hebrews two and four. And as a counselor, I want to enter that broken, chaotic place of torment with my counselee. I want to, I really do want to understand what it must be like day in and day out, uh, feeling absolutely confused and miserable because my faith says I'm supposed to be doing this, but my heart, which deceives me and my emotional experience is always creating conflict within me. That has to be difficult, but I also want to, I also want to step in the same um, reality is them in that I, I struggle with those things too. I don't feel like a man uh, trapped in a woman's body, 
but I know what it feels like to struggle with lust. And I know the emotional experience of that. And I know that you have to battle that. So I'm a lot more like the person who is wrestling with uh, identity issues than not. I think the main thing that I, you know, think through with the women that I work through is the identity almost becomes like the label, like they hide, they hide behind it. They feel like there's no escape where we know with sanctification that we're free from the power of sin, not the presence of sin yet, but yes. you know, there's fruit in, you know, from a counselor standpoint, I think when I read this, as I'm looking at it, yeah, you know, I'm thinking, how does this change the way that I communicate? And to me, it would be as, yes, we're being empathetic and we're meeting them in their struggle to gain a better understanding. Then maybe we can ask direct questions to where it says, you know, if God is not the ultimate person in whom we find our identity, then what is that? So what are, what, how are we asking a direct question to say, mm-hmm. how are they seeking to, how, what are they actually seeking their identity in that's apart from God? And then how can they, we then redirect them to point them back to scripture specifically to where their struggle is. Right. And, and I think a, and we've mentioned this passage many times, but I think just a good passage to have them wrestle through uh, again I love, you know, Hebrews 4.12 says that the Bible exposes the attitudes and intentions of the heart. Mm-hmm. So I want to give people freedom to read a passage and wrestle mm-hmm. if they're annoyed, if they're not connecting, if mm-hmm. they feel, whatever, okay, what's going on? That's going to expose your heart. But uh, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 9 is a great passage that might be mm-hmm. a part of this conversation of just handing that to someone and saying, okay, you're wrestling with a sense of self. Now, tell us what Jeremiah says if self becomes the place of ultimate trust. Right. And he tells us mm-hmm. it's, it's death. It's dying shrub. It's living in a desert. It's not being able to enjoy what's around you. And then he points us to the only when we're thinking about self uh, or when we're thinking about flourishing as a self, Jeremiah points us to that coming as we trust in God and what he says about our humanity, what he says about sexuality, what he says about all kinds of things that we experience as people. Mm-hmm. I like how you brought up uh, Hebrews for, because and just, just for context, starting in uh, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and the spirit of joints and tomorrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature, verse 13, is hidden from his mm-hmm. sight, but all are naked and exposed mm-hmm. to the eyes of him who must give an account. So it's like mm-hmm. we don't need to bring that judgment. No. Right? Um, and so the empathy is like it, it's coming into the situation, but it's, you know, and it's it's helping them develop that. So I love the idea of, of getting the story, hearing their heart, helping them understand or helping hear where they're where they are and how they see themselves. And as a result of that, being able to use the word of God so that they can, like you said, wrestle with that a little bit. And so hopefully we get to the place where we become lip balm to a chap lip. Yes. About self and because that that's that's really what we're talking about so the word of god gets to that point dividing both soul and spirit well what is the self composed of right it's the it's that immaterial personhood of of what makes a person in their identity yes Uh, and so this is this is so identity driven scripture right here and you know shauna brought up a very important part about being concerned with the sin thing and the fallen thing. But here's, if we do it wisely, here's what understanding self as fallen can do in a conversation with someone struggling. Yeah. 
it puts us in the same population as the person who feels like they're a different population. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the homosexual culture, the, or yeah. the transgender cult, they feel like a different population. We're part of the same population of, of people uh, created by God who are fallen and all of us struggling. And we're just as naked and exposed as they are. That's correct. That's exactly. And, and so, I mean, they, their, their struggle with identity is we have the same struggle. It's just, it's manifested itself a little differently, mm-hmm. but you know, it's the same problem principally. Absolutely. It's the same, same issue. So. Very good. So I don't know if this is, you know, kind of more of, um, you know, I'm trying to tie it into the topic, but you know, there's, there's a part of me that sometimes from a counseling perspective, um, doesn't love to give too much attention to the self. Now as counselors, we're obviously trying to look inward and, and kind of evaluate that search my heart. Lord, Oh Lord, let me know every grievous way in me, like Psalms 130, 139. But there's a huge part to where, you know, when I start thinking about that and, and people are so into this Enneagram thing and mm-hmm. trying to find out our personalities and identifying mm-hmm. that. And then that starts changing the way that we see and communicate to others and, and, you know, and just trying to figure out who we are and we're spending a lot of time in, in doing that, like taking these tests, even our spiritual gift assessments and all these types of things. And one of the things I love here that I, I was reading an article about, um, that Ed Welch uh, wrote, um, and it says, you know, for Psalms 96, nine, it says, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before him, all the earth. And here's what Ed says. It says, he says, we cease offering reverence and awe to a human standard by instead offering it to its true object, God himself. This is worship. And when we worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, an interesting thing happens. We do rediscover our true identity as sinners redeemed by grace in a manner that defies human understanding. And here's how Jen Wilkin responds to it. She says, don't tell me who I am until you have caused me to gaze in awe at I am. Right. So it's kind of like saying, yes, we, we want to have these conversations. We want to meet them where they are back to the question of the listener who, who messaged us. But I, I, I want to make sure that we're not spending months walking with this person, just really stirring and having all these conversations just based off of how they feel doing the inward perspective. If I haven't spent the majority of my time repointing them back to who God is and who Jesus is. And then through that work of the scripture and their learning in that, my prayers, obviously, through that salvation, the, the Holy Spirit is then stirring their true identity that will then change their behavior modifications. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? So, mm-hmm. yes, we're addressing what we could boldly call sin, but we're also doing it in a way that's pointing to them to Christ and not focusing just on their behavior. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We get so self-focused when really the idea is to say, how do we make them you know, God focused. I don't know. What do y'all think about that thought? Well, the, the next couple of points totally move in that direction on your outline because, mm-hmm. um, to get a true understanding of self as, as a believer, we, we need to understand self as called. Mm-hmm. We've been called into another kingdom. Um, you know, a very rich passage to, to dig into with people as it regards the idea of a changed nature. Uh, is Ephesians chapter two, where it mm-hmm. shows us who we once were mm-hmm. as dead um, people, and then who we have become once we've been made alive. We mm-hmm. become united with mm-hmm. Christ, mm-hmm. our new nature, it's new nature, mm-hmm. uh, new affections, and uh, then then not only are we self as called, but when we when when Christ raises us from the dead, we become Christ's. So it's self as Christ, self hidden in Christ. Mm-hmm. 
so that whatever is true of Christ becomes true of us. And as we're wrestling with our darkness that still remains, that should always point us to who Christ is. That should always point us to his righteousness, to his holiness, to his obedience, so that as someone, you know, a person that really has an acute and chronic struggle every day with something like this, their tendency is going to focus on the sin, focus on the self, focus on behavior modification, when in reality, that struggle needs to point them to what already is. Mm -hmm. And that points them to a person which aligns perfectly with what uh, Welch and Wilkins are saying there. Mm -hmm. How amazing is it to think that you, instead of wrestling with who is Shauna and who, who am I, obviously God uniquely made me and gave me gifts and a specific calling and, and how that could change in the seasons. But the, but the, but the idea is, is saying that, um, it's really about the sanctification that I'm becoming more and more like Christ. So the more that I look at him and his values and virtues, that's what I'm striving for. I'm striving more for him and to, and to model what that looks like in my new nature more than I'm trying to figure out like how that actually plays out from a worldly standpoint. Do you know what I mean? From a personality. Yes. And so, so with all that to say, and that's all good. Um, we, we need to wrap up the, what we're not done yet. Yeah, no, we're at 41 minutes. Ah, but this is so good. I know, I know. Um, okay. So, and in, in all that to say, because that, that is, that's all good, and truthfully, we could sit here and... Well, and, I hope and, we address enough to help our listener, well, I think, if not, respond and let us know, right? Right, well, that's why I wanted to say in closing, um, how would we specifically um, deal with or offer somebody who's struggling uh, with, with this issue as transgender. I know we, we talked about it in the first podcast, uh, with those things, but from a biblical perspective, um, I would say, you know, and, and you guys feel free to, to add to, to this closing as far as that's concerned, but, uh, being able to take everything that we've discussed and realizing, you know, I, th- I think, um, knowing the story, uh, Jeremy, to your point, um, understanding, what is their story? What, you know, explain that struggle more. Um, why is it a struggle? Why do you consider it a struggle? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if somebody's saying it's, a, they're struggling with it, they're already feeling some sort of conviction or guilt or shame. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so we can let those things work for us and, and still being able to be truthful, but yet tactful. Uh, and, and again, in, in a way, and, and I just love that expression of being, you know, a lip balm to a chap lip, you know, I mean, we need to be seasoned with the word where we don't have to come out and explicitly hit them with, well, that's wrong. And you need to repent. Mm. We don't have to start there. Mm-hmm. We let's, let's get into the story just like scripture does. You know, scripture starts in a garden. It doesn't start with the fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? There was life before the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously when somebody's struggling with this, if it is legitimately a struggle, well, well, let's use those distinctions to help guide the story. Yes. So that we can then deliver as, as Shauna was pointing out, uh, just the, you know, the reality of Christ, uh, the reality of Colossians one and then three, two as well. And just, um, being delivered from that. And, and, and it does, it changes our perspective. It changes our heart. It changes our thought process and becoming a new creation. Isn't just some pithy little statement that scripture uses. Mm -hmm. It has a biopsychosocial 
change. Mm. Right. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, so all of those things are, are, are good. So I would just encourage uh, M Delaney underscore one. Um, I would just encourage you to uh, start with the story, find out where there are. And if you want to be more specific, uh, you can you can email us at topics at speak the truth dot org. And uh, we would love to we would love to do that. Jeremy, you got something? Just one final thought. Yeah. Anytime we're working with these kind of issues. The hope isn't resolving the conflicting feelings. That's good. The hope isn't resolving mentally who you feel you are. Hope is Jesus. Yeah. Hope is Christ. Hope is that as you wrestle through what feels really messy and chaotic, is that you are wrapped in pure righteousness and viewed by the Father as holy, even as you struggle. So we always want to point people uh, to their Redeemer as their final hope, not the messiness of the heart. That's good. And let me end with a quote by Jeremy. It says here in your outline, In Christ, we are given the perfect identity. For in union with Him, whatever is true of Him is now true of us. Mm. That's good. Thanks for joining us today on Speak the Truth. 